Hey everyone, have a very interesting and exciting interview for you here today. Back in episode 221, we interviewed Ryan Snowden of CB Insights on the applications of the Ethereum network and why people are so excited. Before that, back in episode 159, we spoke with Joseph Lubin, the co-founder of the Ethereum project. We've also had Ujo Music's Jesse Grushak, who talks about building on the Ethereum network to disrupt the music industry. But this is a technology, this is a movement, this is a revolution that has a lot of people excited for its capacity to fundamentally disrupt business models of the past. Standards, traditional models that have been in place for a long time, getting blown away by the capacity for new technologies to make things easier, more efficient, streamlined, and free. My guests today, Aaron Fisher and Jack DeRose, co-founded Colony.io, which is an application built on the Ethereum network that is aimed at disrupting the very composition of the traditional firm. That sounds like a mouthful, and it absolutely is. They go into how the freelancer economy is changing things, how traditional project management tools like Trello and Asana do not meet the needs of the modern or the firm of the future, and if the firm is still how we're going to be thinking about work. This was a heady conversation. I had a massive amount of notes that I personally took away from it, and I know that you will as well. So here is my conversation with the founders of Colony.io, Jack DeRose and Aaron Fisher. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Jack and Aaron, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am excited to learn uh, about your company and the work that you're doing today. It's a pleasure. Nice to chat. So I got to play a little bit with this early version of Colony, uh, but like so many of the projects that are being built on the Ethereum network or just in general around blockchain technology. They're, they're very early. Um, there's a lot of development work to be done, a lot of educating the market on how these new companies, these new models for doing business are going to work. Um, and, and yours is definitely a, a revolutionary idea here. So I wanted to start off by just in broad strokes explaining what Colony is, um, and then we can get into the weeds a little bit about the implications of this new way of organizing a firm. Sounds good to me. So what is Colony? The, the, the question that we always dread. Well, <laughs> so Colony, as we see it, is we, we think of it in, in a couple of different ways. We have a couple of different ways of trying to explain it. So one is that it's an operating system for organizations. That is, it's a piece of software which helps you run an organization or company rather than as we currently do it, which is with paperwork. We also kind of try and explain it as being infrastructure for organizations in that it is the, the sort of foundational components that are necessary. It's the rules around how an organization can operate over the internet. And when we talk about an organization, we're talking about it in a very sort of particular sense in, in, in one that has been designed for the internet. We're not talking about your sort of traditional organization, your traditional company with a sort of 
hierarchical management structure and uh, a board of directors uh, and so on. We're talking about an organisation which is emerging from the bottom up, where people have influence over how decisions get made according to their merits and their, their expertise in various different areas, and where their ownership is proportional to the value that they contributed to that organisation. Um, yeah, and I'd like to add, crucially, it's really about people coming together in an organization. So it would be Jack on his computer, me on mine, you on yours. And it's us interacting together over this platform. And there's no third party hosting it. There's no other running the show for us. It's really just about the people coordinating amongst themselves. Yeah, so I've I've seen, like I said, I, I played around with an early version of this and, and actually read another person's reflections on using it uh, in their business. And where, just to kind of make this a little more tangible for people to give them some, it, certainly not the same thing, but uh, areas in which you are doing similar work, there are a preponderance of pre-existing workflow management or project management tools out there like a Trello or an Asana. And then there's also these other sites where you can hire freelancers like a TaskRabbit, a Fiverr, freelancer.com, et cetera. And where my perception is that you are kind of fitting somewhere in the nexus of those two while also applying a private blockchain and a token system to these type of existing paradigms. Can you talk a little bit about how a whether in broad strokes or maybe with like a practical example how a team or a organization would actually be run on colony and how they would come together to complete a task sure so i think that our um the the version of colony that you've you've had play with that is the first part of our application and we really see colony as being a project in two parts really so Aaron and I work largely on the, the designing the protocol. So we, we definitely see Colony as being a pure uh, decentralized protocol uh, built on Ethereum that will enable developers to, uh, if, if their applications require division of labor or collective decision-making or the ability to manage finances as a group, perhaps pursuant to some project, then developers will be able to integrate the Colony protocol into their application and it will make the whole process a lot easier for them rather than having to think about how they should best do that. We're also building an application, a front-end for users and that's what you've been able to have a little play with. And that application is currently trying to test and to iterate on very specific aspects of the functionality particularly around trying to create a good project management workflow. And we're using a very familiar uh, approach to that, which is, which is Kanban. And, and also to um, try and nail incentivization. We're working with a lot of different customers to try and understand how best they want to be able to incentivize people that work on projects and for their companies so that we have got an appropriate range of of ways for them to do that but the colony application is very much we, we see that very much as being a, um, a sort of reference client if you like it's an example of the kind of thing that you could do with the colony protocol well let me add one point to that which i think is important is that 
when Jack talks about the application that we're building, that's what you've been playing with, which has like task management and looks a little like maybe a, a Kanban board. That's, as he said, an example of what you can do with the Colony protocol. But on the underlying level, we're trying to keep it as flexible and modular as possible. So any kind of project that you might want to build that requires collective decision-making, collective management of finances can be built. So you could indeed have projects on there that work more like TaskRabbit and other projects in apps built on top of this protocol that work more like Asana. We don't want to be prescriptive on that. We see the our application as being a way for uh, either an existing company or perhaps an, a new startup or indeed a community to be able to come together and create a pool of talent of people who are either the, sort of the community, as I mentioned, around that particular idea or project, or uh, a bunch of freelancers, for example, that uh, a digital agency has come together and created that pool of talent who are able to come along, find tasks, find work uh, or projects that are suitable for their skill set and, and apply themselves to them. So instead of the transactional relationship that you tend to get on one of these freelancer websites where you know, you're looking for a designer and you find somebody who's going to do the job and you sort of very manually manage that whole relationship. With the colony, you can invite all the people that you know and trust and you've worked with before, you like working together, and perhaps you can have your own team in there as well. And people can work side by side, irrespective of whether they're employees of a company or, or freelancers. And so if you sort of take that to its logical extension and you imagine that there is no concept of a company, um, there is only freelancers, there's only just a bunch of people who are good at what they do and they've got a project around which they're coordinating. That's ultimately what Colony allows because it allows that coordination of work between people who don't actually need to know or trust one another in order to be able to collaborate and manage the finances of a collective project. And even more so, the more you work in a colony, the the more your peers like what you do, the more you can get to shape that project, the more it becomes yours. So it's, it's, it's a very flexible way of, you no, know, it's not either employee or freelancer. There's a whole spectrum of contributor from, you know, just a tiny little help one day finding a typo to being, you know, a lead in a team. And you can fluidly go between different levels of engagement as, as you know, as up to you how much time you want to invest and how much you enjoy working on that project. It seems like this is something... You know, it it strikes a lot of different chords, and I'm struggling for which direction I exactly want to go. But you hear this notion of the gig economy, and really, depending on which circle you're in, that could have a positive or a negative connotation. The positive being you choose when you want to work, where you want to work, what you want to work on, and have a a higher degree of autonomy and freedom uh, and, and just choice in the work that you're doing and simultaneously, you know, with Uber and I'm not even necessarily going to name the names all the way out, but, uh, depressed wages, limited income opportunities for people who, who are kind of stuck in lower skilled or, uh, a depression of wages through this process. So do, do you see that being an issue? How will that be resolved? Or is that kind of a reality of 
the quote unquote gig economy? Um, so back in the day, I, I, I used to be a jeweler. Um, I, I was a freelancer for many of those years. I, well, I wasn't a jeweler. I was a jewelry designer and did 3D modeling and what have you. And so I, I'm very familiar with the, the whole deal of being a freelancer. And so when things like the, the gig economy started to emerge, it's, it's quite clear like what the, the challenges are. And, and for me, it was, it was kind of easier in, in a way because having a very particular set of skills, it means that you're not that exchangeable for other people. But if you're something like a task rabbit or uh, you know, you're, you're an Uber driver, you are a fungible piece of meat ultimately. And, and if one person can't do the job, then somebody else will fill your place really quickly. Necessarily a platform like that leads to a race to the bottom. You know, it's, there's always going to be labor because there's always people who are in need of work. Uh, and therefore the sort of monopolistic platform provider who's giving access to, to work of one description or other is in a position of unreasonable power. They are able to extract, you know, massive rent from the people who are who, who, from the people who are working for them, in exchange for being that gateway to opportunity. And I think that's one of the interesting characteristics about blockchain technology in general, which is that it enables the kinds of software which would ordinarily be managed by a sort of large platform provider to be autonomous and therefore not need to extract as much rent from the people who use it. So I think that's going to result in a broadly a more egalitarian sort of relationship between um, platform provider and, and worker. And now indeed this goes back to your statement earlier about going beyond the transactional nature that is inherent in the gig economy. One of the things we really want to foster in Colony is that anyone who contributes becomes a stakeholder, a part owner of the project. So you're no longer just someone who did a single bit of work for a project. You, are, you become a member of the team, a member of the company, and it's not one big central entity farming out work to individuals who are expendable. It is really about a whole community growing together as the project and everyone being an equal part of it. And that, that's kind of why I was bringing in this, my, my prior experience as a freelancer. You know, when you work as a freelancer, as no doubt many of your listeners will know, you're, you are, you're, your earning potential is as many hours as you can work. If you, you know, hurt yourself, like I, I broke my arm really badly once and, and that was it. I lost all my customers that I got work to do for because they just couldn't wait for me to be able to use the arm I controlled my mouse with anymore. And so I think that's a really challenging aspect of being a freelancer. And our hope is that with Colony, because you, are, you have the opportunity to earn ownership of an organization as, uh, by doing work, you have sort of, um, you have that, you know, as an owner of an organization, as an owner of a company, you are not only earning when you are working, you're earning when everybody else is working as well, because you're contributing to the creation of some larger value than you're able to contribute yourself. And that is something which is then later tradable because it's, it's uh, distributed as a crypto currency, a token on top of Ethereum. 
Yeah, and this is especially true of those kind of projects that gain value based on the number of contributors. A lot of the companies that are, have grown huge in the last few years have all their value from the network effect. All the people who are joining, whether it's offering rides or offering houses or wanting to rent rooms, the value comes in the number of people joining in on the network. And hopefully with Colony, all that extra value goes right back to the people involved in the network and is not siphoned off at a central point because there isn't one. To bring things back to maybe the starting point of all this, uh, Jack, you talked a little bit about this background in design and clearly you have uh, an understanding and appreciation for the market out there for freelancers in the modern economy. Very clear how you brought that experience into Colony. Can you talk a little bit about learning about the blockchain and Ethereum and the promise that you saw there? And then Aaron, I know your background is in mathematics. Can you talk as well about your path to building a company on the blockchain and specifically Ethereum? Absolutely. So I originally got interested in Bitcoin in the same way that many people do or did, which is that I saw it was, I, I first heard about it, somebody mentioned like the, the dark web and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so I looked into that a little bit, found out that Bitcoin was this weird internet money that people were using on there. And I was like, okay, it's quite interesting, but I'll, I'll, I'll pass. Um, I, I don't see that I need the dark web for anything at present, thank you. And um, then I noted it again, I guess, like three months later or something, and it had gone from being $6 when I first noted it to $30. And I remember being at a party with a friend and being like, oh, no, we've missed the boat. There was profit to be made there. We, we didn't. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. You know. um, I eventually you know, saw it keep appreciating in value and uh, bought some Bitcoin at $267 immediately, literally the minute before the price tumbled down to, I don't know, 90 or $70 or something like that a few minutes later. And um, yeah, that was, that was how I got involved with it. And it was several months spent as being just a dumb speculator who didn't know anything about it really other than that its price went up and down and that was quite fun until I eventually kind of got scammed out quite a lot of uh, Bitcoin um, as a result of a uh, of a mining scam which was a big thing that was going on for a, for a little while in 2013 and I had a choice to make I, I decided having having lost uh, a load of Bitcoin, which was that either I can't be trusted with this cool stuff and I need to back away from the blockchain entirely, or um, that I, I, you know, I needed to really understand what it was I was doing. Um, and yeah, I, I chose the latter course. Um, so it was an expensive lesson, but um, one that I sort of wouldn't change for the world. If, uh, maybe a month later... I came across Vitalik's um, white paper on, on his plans for Ethereum, and it just blew my mind. At the same time, over the course of that year, I'd been having the initial ideas for, for Colony and sort of scoping out some of how, how it could work. And really, this was the missing piece of the puzzle, and I was just hook, line, and sinker from that point onwards. I fully invested myself into it, to the point that it became such 
a distraction and I was spending no time working on my jewellery company and spending no time in that office at all. I was all the time working on Colony and investigating Ethereum that I, I had no choice really but to stop the jewellery business and focus 100% on this. I haven't looked back since. Yeah, my path was a little bit different. Um, so I first heard of Bitcoin at the very beginning and I was reading about it, but I never really looked too closely at it. You know, I saw the headlines coming by when there was a bug found and somebody created billions of Bitcoins and all that. Um, but I was concentrating on my mathematics. I wanted to get my thesis written. But uh, I got more involved in Bitcoin in 2013, as many people did. And I started mining with a friend. And I also got scammed, which I guess everyone in this space at some point has a scam story. But um, And I went to a few meetups, but... Um, I did not I did not enjoy them very much because although I liked discussing the theory and the and how the, it worked and the proof of work and the incentives it was all fascinating what I found was I didn't like the politics of it I got a lot of people with like hardcore anarcho libertarian capitalist views and there was a very clear line of what you were supposed to be for and what was what you were supposed to be against and it was kind of frustrating and when ethereum came about not only did I love it for its technology because it was fascinating i also like the community around it suddenly you could talk about the technology again and talk about what it can do for society and the kind of projects you can build with it and it was it really uh it felt like a new frontier and everyone was dreaming big dreams of where this could go and and, and that atmosphere was very electrifying very you know addicting um, and to me it just represented the perfect mix of politics and mathematics game theory and and, and finance and so I knew that as soon as I'm finishing my doctorate this is the space I want to work in and um, so that's how it happened I, I graduated in 2015 and um, I met Jack the next February I think yeah February and then started working on Colony because I like Colony as being sort of the perfect example of bringing together these different ideas you've got this new technology this Ethereum blockchain and you come up with a project to see how it can actually help society, how it can change the way we do business, how we you know, live our lives. And I thought there's a lot of promise here, and it's a great project to be part of. You talked about network effects earlier on, and that's really been one of the most powerful maybe uh, business growth stories of the last decade or so. And in these other examples that we've mentioned uh, in the world of either project management or freelancing sites, they do benefit from that network effect. You know, a large community of freelancers on a given site means that it's more likely that your job is going to get completed or you're going to find someone with the correct skill set. Um, and, and, and what I'm curious is, and, and I beg your pardon if this is an ignorant question, but can these existing companies convert their project or convert their business into something built on the blockchain? Are, are they capable of recognizing the promise of this uh, technology and trying to shift their business model midstream? Because that's, that's really, to me, the only thing that I see as, as a major obstacle long-term to the adoption of a system like this. Is that something that's reasonable? I, I'm just ignorant in the technology. I don't know how feasible that might be. It's a it's an interesting question, um, and I think that the challenge that let's say a company like Upwork would face is that 
they are a centralized service provider. Their whole value proposition is that they extract value from the people who offer their services on their platform and the people who go to their platform to look for services. And the percentages that get charged are quite high. Um, Actually, the exact figures are on the tip of my tongue, but I want to say that something like Upwork is around 20% that you end up getting charged as a freelancer, which obviously is, is quite high. And the interesting thing about blockchain technology is that you can build a piece of software that provides exactly the same services that something like Upwork does. And indeed, people already are building things like that. There's a platform called Flance, which is, you know, very nascent, but it's attempting to do the same kind of thing. And there is no company that sits in the middle of it to, to charge those fees because it's, the, 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 it's autonomous code that lives on the blockchain and that anybody can access. So the question would be why somebody like Upwork would try to convert their business to being blockchain-based because it would fundamentally upset their business model. Yeah, any technology that makes it easy to get rid of the middleman is going to be hard on the middleman. So if your business is providing a value to the network by making it easy to connect with people, that's great, and you will probably be able to earn however much value you're providing to the network. But you can no longer extract rents by forcing everyone to go through you as the central provider which has been the business model of many of these networks in the past few years. You first grow to the size of the network where people will feel compelled to join your network just because it's already big, and then you extract rents just by nature of being in control of the central hub. Now, that business model is hopefully being dissolved in this Ethereum decentralized space, which doesn't mean that there's not money to be made by making it easy to find work, to find workers, to facilitate interactions but the business model will have to change from a purely uh, from 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 the current model um, to a more dynamic and so for a company to transition to ethereum it would also probably have to adapt its business model somewhat i, I was just going to say that you 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 noted that a potential challenge to future blockchain based applications is that there are already incumbents who have got massive network effect. So, you know, part of the reason why people may switch is if a decentralized application emerges, which has got an equivalent user experience, you could find that the Uber drivers of the future think, well, actually, I don't need to be paying my 20% fees or 30% or whatever it is to, to Uber because... I can actually own part of this network and I don't I, and the fees that I'm going to get charged are lower and even those fees that I do get charged will be coming back to me in one form or another anyway because I actually own part of this network. The other side of it is that Ethereum based projects have a really unique mechanism by which they can solve one of the biggest challenges of generating a network effect uh, which is uh, the, the network bootstrapping problem, as it's often called, which is that they can issue a token. Uh, and by selling this token, which is a cryptographic, well, a cryptographic token, which has some utility within the network, they're able to create a whole bunch of 
of people who are incentivized to see that project succeed and to contribute to its success uh, in one way or the or another, whether it by, be by promoting it or by actually working on that project. Typically, those tokens uh, kind of fall into a couple of different baskets. They're, they're either used to pay for the um, the services that that network provides. A good example of that is a project called Golem, which is a distributed supercomputer. Or they're used to, uh, because they have some, uh, let me phrase it differently, it, it's necessary for some subset of the user base to perform some action uh, within the, uh, within the uh, application. So a good example of that other than Colony would, would be uh, one called Augur, which is um, a decentralized prediction market. And if you're a holder of Augur's token, which is known as REP, um, you're able to report on the outcomes of events. So if somebody has created a prediction market about whether the price of oil will increase over the course of the next three months, at the specified date, people will be able to re- report on what the price of oil is and the the market will be able to resolve that way. And the fees that were generated by that will be provided to the people who did the reporting. So this token issuance uh, approach is, is a way that many projects are creating actually really quite large network effects right from the outset such that they have a large user base ready to go as soon as the project goes live. And maybe it's taking a step backwards um, because we were contrasting with previously existing networks like Uber and Airbnb and the like, um, it is entirely conceivable that in Ethereum you've got a project running something like Airbnb matching people who want to rent out rooms to people who are looking for them, but an, a third party, another project could give you ratings for apartments or hosts in, your, in a certain neighborhood, yet another project could be selling insurance against fraud. So the the fact that these platforms are open means many different projects can sort of li- enter th- this platform, enter this project at different parts of it, and it's no longer this walled garden approach. The current big companies like this make it very difficult to interact with each other. I mean, what you cannot, you, you're either using Lyft or you're using Uber. They're deliberately, of course, not made to interact because they're competing, but on an open network, um, everyone's sort of supplying value, supplying service to the same underlying network, um, and it's, it should make it a lot more open, a lot more flexible to contribute to different parts of it. And a lot of the people on these different networks aren't particularly loyal. I've gotten in plenty of Ubers where he also had the little lift sticker on his um, on his windshield. There's plenty of people with a Fiverr, a TaskRabbit, a freelancer profile, and they collect uh, work opportunities from all those different arenas. So I, I don't think the moat there is as big as some people would proclaim it to be. Um, This has been incredibly informative, guys. Thank you so much for walking us through all this and and dealing with my silly questions. Uh, Before we tell people where to connect with you and issue a personal challenge, is there anything else that you were hoping to talk about today that I didn't give you a chance to? Not off the top of my head. I'm a conversational counterpuncher, so you've you've thrown some blows at me that I've enjoyed. (laughs) 
Well, I enjoyed it as well and uh, really appreciate you guys sharing your time with me. If people want to learn more about Colony, follow along on your developments and check out the other great work that you're doing. Where in the digital world can people connect to learn more? Um, well, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, which is at Join Colony. Um, you can jump on our, our Slack channel. Uh, where we have quite a, a good community, currently at 3,987 people. Um, and so you can go to, the easiest thing probably to do actually is just to go to colony.io and hit the Slack in the menu bar and you'll be able to get an invite there. And you can also follow us on Medium, which is just blog.colony.io where we share our, our musings about various matters uh, decentralised. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes going deeper there and com slash podcast is the place to find it. But as we do at the end of every episode, Jack and Aaron, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue a personal or personal challenges to the audience. Alrighty. Um, before Aaron gazumps me, <laughs> I'm going to go with saying that um, a lot of what we've talked about so far is potentially to, to quite a lot of people going to seem like crazy techno babble from a couple of weird hippie types. But I promise you everything that we're saying is completely real. It's absolutely happening. And there's billions of dollars on the table. It, the technology that is being worked on by the likes of Ethereum and, and the various projects building on it is going to fundamentally change the way the web operates. And for anybody that's interested in technology, I, I cannot recommend highly enough just getting involved. There's a really welcoming community around it who are very, very enthusiastic about helping other people understand what's going on. So head on down to the uh, Ethereum subreddit, uh, which is just um, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Ethereum and, and get involved. Yeah, I, would, I can echo that. The, if I were to phrase it as a challenge, the challenge is to get to the point where you make your own Ethereum transaction just a single one, just to see how easy it is. And um, yeah, and then you'll get hooked. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll be sure to make sure that people do that and hope that they'll let us know when they do so. It is something that is mind expanding once you start to sink your teeth into it. Our minds have been expanded today from listening to you two guys. Thank you so much for coming on. We just went deep with the co-founders of Colony. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you so much for listening through today's episode. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so. We are always looking for more guests. We have some exciting ones coming down the pipe, including the founder and CEO of Wealthfront, one of the biggest robo-advisors aiming at disrupting the wealth management industry, Andy Ratcliffe, who also co-founded Benchmark Capital, a famous Silicon Valley venture firm. So exciting to have him on the podcast. We have a long tradition on the show of talking with financial experts like Morgan Housel, Barry Ritholtz, and Bob Seawright. You can check those out in our back catalog, but really appreciate it if you'd subscribe and stay tuned to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.